Welcome to Famous with Kate and Liz. Happy Women's History Month, everybody. Women's History Month. (laughs) History. It is time. Um, What better new series to have than Famous Females? Am I right? I love it. Famous Females, Famous Femmes. I am a female. You're a female. We identify as female. (laughs) Love it. Yeah, yeah, anyone who does it, yeah, anyone, anyone. This is like, you know, we're just applauding any, I don't know what we're each going to individually cover, you know, because we like to be kind of the last minute with that, obviously. Um, But we're like, come on, famous females, hello, this is March. A random selection for sure, but like we had to start with the baddest of the baddies. (laughs) Like, and that I apologize in advance because this episode is probably gonna be 10 hours long because we chose Queen Elizabeth II, who, as you all know, is the longest reigning monarch and longest living monarch or ruler. So there's a lot to cover. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we're not, you know, we're gonna try not to do like a, this is her life, like reading directly from like, you know, an actual timeline of every single thing that's ever happened in her life because you know, that would be boring, maybe, but we're not the people to do that, okay? So we are going to give you, like, Uh, background, basic (laughs) timeline, right? (laughs) Are we? (laughs) We'll try not to just read off. I mean, it's it's crazy. There's, like, so much, you know, that it almost feels like you are just, like, reading off these events. When I was, like, doing my part, I was thinking more about, like, you know, how these, all these things are happening within, like, a year, you know, a lot of times, or in a short period of time had to deal with like all of them, you know, as a, a ruler, um, and a leader. No, it's crazy. It's crazy how much happened in like, boom, 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 boom. So, I mean, yes, it is a timeline that we're doing, but it's, it's, um, you know, we got some flavor in there. It's not just like, la la la, reading from your history book. Tangents. Don't worry. I know you want our (laughs) tangents. Yes. Just get comfortable. Just get comfortable. Light a candle. Grab a glass of wine if you're doing your dishes, um, or a glass of Dubonnet if uh, <laughs> like the yes. queen, that's her drink of choice if you want to do that. Um, and you know we'll probably drop some references to the Netflix series The Crown as well. Because, Absolutely, um, we watch that and like you know I think that's kind of everyone's modern day like understanding of Queen Elizabeth and her family. Um, and we're also not going to really get into the family. Like we tried to kind of stay away from that only like on the fact that, you know, she was tested at different points in her life because of certain things and whatnot, or was happy at mm-hmm. certain points of her life because of her family. But, you know, like they've got their own stories. Watch the crown if you want the whole picture. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And a lot of these things, you know, I do remember from the crown, of course, that is a show. So they have things in there that never happened, things that kind of happened like that like things that we don't really know what the queen was thinking at that time um you know for some of these events so um you know but there are yes she is very private that definitely um so you know I kind of was like oh this might be good yeah because we can look into like you know during that time what really was happening you know when you're watching the crown how like I don't know how many times you did this but there would be like an event or a person or whatever and after I watch it I'm like I have to google 
this and see if like this is really how it went down like you know what I mean but I did that yeah yeah okay good I'm not alone I'm not alone I mean I never um, took a British history class so. <laughs> yeah yeah a lot of it was new and like you know a lot of things were huge scandals so a lot of people heard of them but maybe you didn't know all the facts about it whatever so that is what makes the crown so like such a good show and she has lived for so long <laughs> So I know like, just so much has happened. there's a and lot I, of story. I know you're going to get into this, but to me, when I think about Queen Elizabeth II, I'm just like gazing <laughs> off into my ceiling right now. <laughs> Daydreaming. Um, I just think about how she was never supposed to be queen and, you know, yeah. how, how she's handled it. And she's the longest reigning monarch. And whether you like her or not, you know, whether you yeah. are, um, for, you know, um, if you're Republicanism, you know, for Republicanism in the uh, UK, or if you are for the Queen, uh, you know, whatever. But you can't deny that she's, like, done a really good job with the hand she was dealt. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like it was meant to happen. Like, she was always actually meant to be Queen. Um, so, I mean, as you were saying, lover or hater... For the past seven decades, Queen Elizabeth II has navigated her family through also, like we were saying, so many things, um, including divorces, public scandals, and a pandemic, you know, because she's still alive as of this recording, as of this yeah. recording. And she just opened <laughs> uh, She just did that over yes. herself. So, yeah, and yep, a pandemic. Yep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, a pandemic. And she's gone. She's outlasted. 14 UK prime ministers. Wow. And 14 American presidents. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's and some she's when you just them all. removed from office either. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that's you, a long span. Yes. Long it. span. Yeah. So it's not only like, oh my God, all of a sudden she's like gonna be queen one day but then it happens even when she was like so young I mean yeah everything everything in her life it just is like wow maybe everything was meant to be just how it was supposed to be I don't know you know, know. how I get deep it is deep thinking into these weird, things like how it kind of lined up that way so yeah I know I know you're gonna kind of touch on it so let's let's get into it are you ready to like okay I'm ready to go back to the back. beginning <laughs> Back to the beginning of Queen Elizabeth II, QE2, as I like to call her, <laughs> the beginning of her life. Okay. So she is born April 21st, 1926. Taurus season. Can I, where's my Taurus? Is that? I'm not a, I'm not a fellow Taurus, but um, cheers. I'm a cusp. Oh, you're a cusper. Yeah, I'm a cusper too for my two signs, but um. Yeah, so Taurus, April 21st, 1926. It's happening. It is happening. She is born. Um, Princess Elizabeth Alexandra Mary Windsor uh, was born at 2.40 a.m. at her parents' home at uh, 17 Burton Street in Mayfair, London, which, a fun fact, has been torn down. And there was like, uh, I think it said there was a Chinese restaurant like in that 
spot now. So yeah, oh. it's not a historical landmark at Wait, all. So it it wasn't like was it like a royal property? It must have been, right? Or something? No. I mean, <laughs> it might have been. Yeah, or just like a really nice apartment building or whatever. Um because she wasn't just born as just some random person. She right. was the first child of the Duke and Duchess of York, um, who, spoiler alert, you know, became Queen, King George VI and Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mum. So she was their first child. Never supposed to be queen. Yeah, you he's know. just a Duke. Like, he's not. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, so. George's um, brother was supposed to be king. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Okay, we'll get to it. Um, but so, you know, she, she, he was thought that he was going to have kids. Like, he was going to get married, have kids. Like, this is what would happen. So, like, they're thinking the chances of Elizabeth ever getting on the throne, like, probably not going to happen. Um, okay, so 1933, she gets her first corgi. Corgi alert, Um, when Her Majesty was seven years old, her Aww. father, King George VI, brought home a, a little puppy named Dookie, a Pembrokeshire Welsh Corgi. So that's like the specific kind of Oh my, I didn't know corgi her corgis went back to childhood. That's so precious. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, she immediately fell in love with the breed, and it's believed that she has owned at least 30 corgis <gasps> since oh. her first. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. So she loves these dogs, and just, it's like, boom, boom, boom. Like, one goes, send really another one in. Her, right? Like, she loves horses, too, and yeah, she's yeah. a big lover. She is like, yeah, animal lover, totally. Um, okay, December 11th, 1936, the heiress presumptive. Um, so she, this is when it kind of transitions. So Elizabeth, Elizabeth's father becomes king when his older brother, King Edward VIII, I had to count the um, Roman numerals <laughs> for a second. Um, he steps down, he abdicates the throne to famously marry the fellow Nazi enthusiast, Wallace Simpson. Okay. And this is all, yeah, this like comes into play in the show, The Crown. This was like also an interesting storyline that they followed. Like shows, I feel like movies just on Edward and Wallace and, um, their love affair, and, and a lot of times it's like it is this big love affair. Like he gave up the throne for her, but like they were Nazi sympathizers too. So yeah, mine. <laughs> yeah, it's so that's one of the things that I'm like, wow, I'm actually glad he wasn't king. You know, with like what was about to happen because if he was king, uh, that war could have gone, yeah, you know, a lot differently. We might be all, you know, what I'm saying days if he wasn't king you know yeah yep yep so um just another little interesting rabbit hole to go down um so princess elizabeth becomes heiress presumptive and for some reason i didn't understand that if she had a younger brother 
Mm. Like he would have been ahead of her in line for the throne at this time. Yes. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I was like, Oh, that's weird. Cause I just thought that whoever was the oldest right, me too. would be not like higher in line. I forgot. Um, but no, didn't that change hey, during her time though? Like, I think she <sighs> did it. Oh, did she make it that? I think she changed it during her time. Maybe that like it is now. Just- oh, okay either I'm not sure oh well, that's nice of her yeah maybe she did change it maybe she did change it um, and could you imagine if she had a younger brother like that person would be king and right, right. yeah you know be- because like, things would be so different yeah it's so true it is really true like you were saying kind of destined you know she didn't she had a sister Margaret right who was like eccentric yes whole we should do like a whole like famous oh sibling God. series <laughs> Yes. Mark that down. Yeah. Amber V remind us that we have to do that. <laughs> right? You know, like they're not always in the shadow. Sometimes they are their own spotlight. <laughs> yes. Oh, and that's the tagline right there. Boom. You're on fire. Anyway, oh, yeah, my so, God. like there just happened to be two girls, you know, two girl daughters. So yep. um obviously. Yep. yep. So interesting. Um, okay, so October 14th, 1940. Elizabeth makes her first public speech at the age of 14 on the BBC Children's Hour to reassure children who had been separated from their parents during um, the Nazi Blitz of London. So this is just like a really sweet um, thing that she did. And a fun fact, um, she and her sister, as we said, the famous Princess Margaret, were supposed to go to Canada during the war, but her mother didn't want to send, you know, the kids without her. And she didn't want to go anywhere without her husband, the king. Mm-hmm. Um, so they all stayed in England, mainly at Windsor Castle. Like a lot of people think that they weren't there at all. I think um, I'm really brave because like yeah. London was like in ruins very much of it after the Blitz, you mm-hmm. know. So, like, I, people don't realize that, like, people were, like, found in rubble, and, you know, it was just crazy, but, uh, yeah, it's kind of like, you know, they didn't want to leave, and I think um, a great movie that, like, kind of talks about this transition is The King's Speech, it's about her father. Yes, um, yes, the one and, who stutters. <laughs> yeah, the one with the stutter, and so, you know, and he lived a short life, too, and kind of like, you know, mm-hmm. he's like the in-between, if you want a good background on that. Yes, yes. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah, I did mean to put that in here somewhere. I feel like, that, I feel like that. they cover this, them all staying together um, in that. Yeah, yeah. I think they do. Yeah. I should watch that movie again, you know, after watching all the stuff. Mm-hmm. Because that that is a great movie, and I remember really liking it. But maybe I think of watching it now after seeing all the stuff from The Crown. Right. Oh, maybe yeah. it, right. Maybe that would be, like, different to watch now. So, okay, put another pin in that. For my future self. Um, Okay, so April 21st, 1942 was her first public engagement, and she made her first um, appearance on her 16th birthday by, well, not appearance, but, you know, out in public at an engagement um, on her 16th birthday by inspecting the soldiers of the Grenadier Guards. Yeah, Grenadier Guards. Um, But so she basically joined the armed forces on her 16th birthday. Oh, Um, okay. 
Yeah, because she was like all of a sudden commanding these right? soldiers. Yeah. Yeah, so that was like her first kind of like, I will be queen one day. Like, and I am out here. I'm sure that was so good the world. Morale, like a 16-year-old yeah. never run around. <laughs> yeah, instead of having a Nazi sympathizer as your king, you know? Like, <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's so different. It's so different. Um, okay, so after turning 18, she joins the Auxiliary Territorial Service to do her part in the war effort. And so she's like, I am need to be involved. Like, okay. I'm just sitting here, like, get me involved in World War II, <laughs> literally. Like, just think of little old Queen Elizabeth the second <laughs> she was like 18 and like no like I want to like be useful yeah so they it, I think like family also very understands the role that they play in like morale for the the people of the country mm-hmm. right? you know during wartime like someone's got to you know play that role yeah well it's better than our freaking <laughs> like don't get me started our government like how many of them are sending their kids off, you know, hardly none of them. So it's a super brave thing to do. Um, So she wanted, you know, to be part of the war effort and she learned how to drive and maintain trucks. So like, you know how she still drives around? They show like pictures of her, like with her little bonnet on, like driving. That kind of came to an end recently as well. Well, it did. Yeah, actually, I think they did revoke her license. (laughs) But she had been for a very long time. Yes, you're right. Yeah, Yeah. but just think of her, like, that thing breaks down in the, like, lands of Balmoral. She's out there with her wrench (laughs) fixing it. I can't change a tire. I got AAA for that. Like, I have AAA, too. (laughs) The queen could probably change a tire, you know? Oh, absolutely. Abs, I bet she has several times. Oh, this is like the queen that I love. <laughs> so, okay. Um, it is really brave of her. I forget about her, like, war. Yeah. Yeah. She was like, you know, she really stepped up. Um, so May 8th, 1945, uh, VE Day, um, the king gives permission to his daughters to join crowds of revelers in the streets of London, which is like, you know, would be unheard of. Yeah. Um, she said, I remember we were terrified of being recognized, so I pulled my uniform cap well down over my eyes. She recalled in a rare interview, as we were saying before, very private. I mean, yeah, she's not out here blabbing around like Kanye and Pete, David said. <laughs> she's like, no, you but know. you know what? I bet she could solve that whole issue. So she could. Yes. Get these two. Weigh get in. these two in front of the queen. Okay. They need to be heard, and she needs to give us her decision. Like, what is to happen? Off with their heads? I don't know. <laughs> Can you still do that? <laughs> oh, okay. Anyway, rant done. Uh, okay. She also continuing her quote. Coming back. I'm coming back. Um, she said, "I remember lines of unknown people linking arms and walking down Whitehall. All of us just swept along on a tide of happiness and relief." So that might have been like the one mm-hmm. like free kind of time she ever had 
Yeah. Right? Gosh, it reminds me of like Princess Jasmine. I'm like, what a Princess Jasmine moment. Yes. Which, <laughs> into the world of Beyond the Castle. Yes. <laughs> yeah, they based Prince, they based Aladdin on the Queen. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. I mean, like, when have would they be able to do that? I'm sure they had some kind of security or something, but that was- I don't know. I don't know if they did. I'm not kidding. I don't. I think. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we know. We'll we'll get into how not great sometimes the security is. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I think at this time, like. Yeah, they had, I'm sure, security, but it was not like right. how it is now. I mean, God, they can't even leave their homes right. without the whole team. Surprising, like you know, the heir to throne. You know, like I, they, yeah. I could even be like, go ahead, Margaret. You know, go ahead. Yeah, Margaret, we don't care. Go ahead. <laughs> Elizabeth's got to say. <laughs> I know, but I think, I mean, they were like, "Girl, you did your job." Like you're amazing go enjoy yourself (laughs) I don't know I I just like to think that she was in just like total bliss during that moment yes um okay so now forward to November 20th 1947 at age 21 um she marries Philip Mountbatten um famous yeah R.I.P. um they get married in one, uh, Westminster, Westminster Abbey. Um, reading is hard. And they famously stayed together for 73 years until Philip's death on April 9th, 2021. So almost a year ago. Yep. And, I mean, <clears throat> like, you know, again, I don't think she really had a choice to stay with Philip or not. But <laughs> she made the best of it. I do believe they found ways to love each other, you know, like it was definitely like a yes. marriage, you know, whatnot, but like they had a family and they had respect for each other. And, and he, he yes. didn't have easy, like living in her shadow and shoes, you know, like he had yeah. to give up his, he, you know, ego and natural male <laughs> behavior. <laughs> like <laughs> let her be, you know, be who she needs to be. Animalistic. Yeah, natural male asshole behavior. I don't know. <laughs> I am dead right now. Yeah, I mean, their story really is it is a love story. And you're right. Watching The Crown, I was surprised they showed so many, like, contentious moments mm-hmm. between them, you know, because, like, they are so private and, and they have been together for so long, but, like, they never would have been able to get divorced. So even if they despised each other, like you said, they still had to make a way to like figure it out and like, and okay, let's just do that. Yeah, they both knew that. Yeah. Like in this forever, like we gotta make it work, you know. Yeah. And I think there was a point in their relationship where they were like, Wow, we are like both ride or dies, you yeah. know, like yeah. we do belong together. So it is actually a love story. And seventy three years is longer than a lot of people's lives. So yeah. Incredible. He lived such a long time too. I mean, I don't know. Whatever yes. those two are doing, like whatever's <laughs> the water at Buckingham Palace or Balmoral or wherever is great. I know. I was just thinking it's so bad about what what's the name of that show on HBO Max with the the queen? It's like um Oh, the prince. <laughs> yes, the prince. The animated and show. Prince Philip's just dead. Yeah. Like, I know. He's just I know. literally a corpse the whole time. It's so bad. R.I.P. I mean, 
pretty bad memes about the queen lately too but you know it's just like they're old people like just respect your elders okay (laughs) yes respect this woman she can freaking change a tire okay um okay that's why you um now (laughs) yeah (laughs) oh my god um okay okay so here we go november 14th 1948 which is the year my parents were born. So that gives like me some time perspective. Um, she and Philip had their first child. Um, Elizabeth gave birth to Prince Charles at Buckingham Palace. And Prince Charles is first in line to the throne. Um, little did he know how long he was going to have to wait right. to get his little grimy fingers on the throne. <laughs> Seriously. Oh God, him and Camilla. I can't like I can't. He better live it up when he gets on the throne because he's got like the clock will be ticking. Like I can <laughs> you imagine he becomes king and then he just is like such a flagrant baller. <laughs> like just like out here with like capes on walking yeah. down the street like <laughs> i want to see all your money <gasps> wanted <laughs> charles he's just standing on balconies in london like making it rain hundred dollar <laughs> bills and everyone's like yes he's the but best king that ever I lived like, like almost 80 by probably by the time you get yeah. the throne so you know. know have fun for the next five to ten years yeah <laughs> He's going to be like the shortest, the shortest living, um, yeah. you know, royal. I mean, that while makes his sense. mother was the longest. Yeah. yeah, it does. If you come after the longest, then yeah. Yeah. I guess yeah, you're not looking at a long time. So, um, okay. <laughs> oh my god, so off track. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Um, okay. Loving it. <laughs> so a couple years later, August fifteenth, nineteen fifty. Um, have their second child. Princess Anne was born in Clarence House. I'm a huge Princess Anne fan. Anne yeah. fan, unite. Yeah, totally. I think yeah. a lot of uh, royal lovers who are we, are we are friends with got mad respect for Anne. Um, you know? Yes. I, Anne I'm, and Margaret. Like, let's let's see that show. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, I really liked um, learning more about her in the crown when they start to introduce her young character, you know, so. Yes. And her like in the sixties with like her hair. Oh my God. She has like go-go boots on. I'm like, princess Anne, what? And remember, didn't she like make fun of Trump or something like a couple of years ago at one of like some state dinner? Like, Oh like, yeah. She wouldn't like shake his hand or something. Or, like, something like that. And then she was like caught like with like Justin Trudeau, like snickering about. <laughs> they were laughing. Yes. Yes, they were laughing like school children behind his back. Yes. Anne was part of that. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was Anne. If you don't know who Princess Anne is. Yes. Oh, God, that was so good. I got to remember to find that. Um, okay, so February 6th, 1952, Elizabeth and Philip are on an official visit to Kenya when her father, George VI, dies in his sleep in England um so now at the age of 25 she is now queen 25 uh I got chills just thinking about that and I remember in the crown like um they always 
brought like a black outfit wherever she traveled just in yes. and she had to like tra- change into that to come back and like you know and being out of town like not even being there <clears throat> yeah almost no like- that was an iconic scene from the show and like wow that that did like actually happen it's so sad mm. so sad um so yeah 25 she's queen now and I think didn't he have like throat cancer or something kind of cancer was a big smoker yeah and like yeah like she was really close with her dad you know she was very close to her father and her grandfather um yeah very close okay um so june 2nd 1953 so the next year um they have the official coronation Mm -hmm. so at the age she's now 27 Elizabeth is crowned at a ceremony at Westminster Abbey, attended by more than 7,000 people, um, and hundreds of thousands more lined the streets to catch a glimpse of their queen in her horse-drawn coach, um, you know, so she would, like, ride through the street. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and millions watched the first-ever live broadcast of a British coronation on television. So that was also kind of a big storyline in the crown. Yeah. I think um, my parents definitely have remember watching this and you, you know, like, yeah. yeah, it's one of those things like it was the only thing to watch probably. So yeah. Yeah. That, like, yeah. You turn your TV on and, and it's like, okay, that's what's on. <laughs> like you don't get it. It's choose. also really interesting. Cause like that is the reach of colonialism too, which, you know, mm-hmm. it's obviously problematic with the Windsor family and you know, the whole British monarchy, but uh, you know, it's like, okay, the whole world is going to tune in to watch this. Like, we're not tuning into Sweden's, like, wedding or, you know, whatever, royal wedding. Yep. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's yeah, perfect. we definitely love it over here. I mean, we love it. The colonies, they still, oh, you know, I know. Are all I know. Like, got a little grasp. Way to bring me back. Way to bring me back to reality, Liz. Thank you. <laughs> I'm just gonna, you know, I was just thinking about it. I was like, well, who other, like, what other royal weddings have I seen? None. Only None. the royal yeah. family. <laughs> Could you imagine some of the royal weddings in, like, the Middle East? Yeah. I mean, why are we not seeing Spain's? I feel like that. Dubai? Would- yeah, I want to see some yeah. Dubai royal weddings, okay? Broadcasting these? Can Bravo get in on this? I feel like, you know, everybody <laughs> tuned in for Harry and Meghan's wedding. Like, come on. Yeah. Oh, my God, you're, this is like such an idea. Why isn't this on like Lifetime or whatever, you know, like one of those channels that women love. <laughs> Happy Women's History Month. Um, okay. <laughs> um, February 19th, 1960. Um, Elizabeth and Philip. <sighs> it's a dark day. They have their third child, a.k.a. Okay their biggest mistake um if you don't know who their third child is I don't like to speak of him but his name was Prince Andrew (laughs) and he was born at Buckingham Palace 1960 um dark day although I do really I want okay I want two spinoffs from the crown I want the Harry and Meghan years and I want Mm -hmm. Prince Andrew and the Epstein years (laughs) I, I want yes and I want like I want them showing somehow also like Fergie on Oprah. Like remember when Fergie yeah. did her whole like that was his wife. Yeah. Famously, the redhead. 
um, friends with Princess Diana. They were like BFFs. Both famously divorced their husbands. Fergie, how much shit she got back in the day for being fat. Fergie. Yes. And just like people were, you know, because of the way their relationship ended. I know we said we weren't going to talk about the siblings, but we got it for a minute. Yes, we have to. Yes. Oh my God. No, I'm loving this sidetrack. Please. Because you know what? Her husband is a pedophile. And like, you know what? He got way more shit than probably he's even getting right now, back in the day. And also, you also know what? He was probably so fucking verbally abusive and emotionally abusive to her that, of course, even if she was literally a stick, she would not have been okay with her body. Because he probably, I mean, it's probably like a joke that like, oh yeah, she was too fat and ugly for him. Like, he wasn't going to stay with her. He could have any woman he wants, type of thing. Like, that was the narrative going around about like why they weren't together anymore so not that he was a she probably caught him cheating numerous times and being a pedophile like she was like I'm out of here like I don't care (laughs) yeah she's had it rough and so you know I mean that's the other thing the, the royal family and their responses to the wives of the royal children yeah not the greatest you know not the best not the best. But that's, that's yeah. I'm sorry, Andrew Fergie. No, <laughs> no, thank you because I was so right. I was like gonna go down there anyway because it has to be talked about. I mean, that was such an iconic time. Like there does need to be like an examination on the Princess Diana, Prince Andrew, Fergie, Charles, like the whole. I mean. Just Princess Diana's life after she left the royal family was could be its own, you know, up to her death, could be its own um, series. Anyway, okay. Oh, absolutely. Back to 1964. Well, forward to 1964, but also backwards. Okay, anyway, I'm off on my timeline. Back to the future. Uh, yeah, back to the future. Um, so 1964, so four years later, you know, a lot of things happening, um, you know, historical moments and whatever, but I'm just like doing a real surface dive here. Mm -hmm. Um, but so 1964, they have their fourth child. Okay. People at the age of 37, Queen Elizabeth gave birth to her fourth and final child, Prince Edward. Literally never heard of this man before in my life. Oh, come on. Anyone else? <laughs> I'm like, he's like Prince most Edward? In the, the most in the background of any of her children, which I'm sure means he's got some good stories. <laughs> Literally never heard of this man. Googled him. He's the best looking one oh, by don't. far. By <laughs> far. I've never seen this man in my life. Why aren't they putting him next to the queen at every single function. <laughs> what are they doing? I'm sorry. I'm contacting them tonight. Get Prince Edward in front of camera. the camera. Can't I know what you mistake. Maybe, maybe with Andrew not like being stripped of his duties, Edward might get a little more of a role now, you know? <sighs> Literally never heard of him. <laughs> Turns out, best looking one. And probably the most normal. Because he's like, I'm good. Like, I'm good with my private school education. And 
yeah hot wife like yep. I'm good Never be king you know so yeah so many yeah. people before me mm-hmm. yeah yeah he's just um, living it up Richie Rich yeah yeah god um so yeah I'd like a spinoff on Prince Edward's life yeah. too yeah I mean exactly <laughs> I, I think he's very private well yeah so um you're taking us into the the swing in 60s. So I'm going to pick up from there. Uh, the Perfect. swing in 60s and beyond. Uh, and during this time, there's the ri- rise of republicanism. And I just have to say that that is different than Republicans in America. <laughs> I just got Right, remember. right, right. <laughs> um, republicanism is wanting to, you know, separate from the, the monarchy. Uh, people mm-hmm. do that in the, the United Kingdom. They want to have their own um government or no head of state at all they like you know mm-hmm. they have like right now the queen but then they also have parliament and um the prime minister and the queen like doesn't really influence that too much i mean right. she, but they do work together they right. do work together yeah. like she doesn't really have too much decision making power but she does influence yes yes mm-hmm. yes exactly that's the perfect way to put it yes so um yeah so like in the 60s and 70s like this is when things were, we were starting to have more of a decolonization in Africa and the Caribbean of the former um, British colonies. So 20 countries gained independence from Britain as part of a planned transition to self-government during this time. And this really started to weaken um, Britain's ties, you know, as a former empire uh, in the world. And um, the British government sought to become part of the European community. Uh, because of that. And so they were able to be part of the European Union or whatever it was mm-hmm. in 1973. Um, wow. So this is also like a time when there was some like turmoil kind of like in Australia and with some of her prime ministers. So in 1974, her prime minister, Edward Heath, um, held a general election in the middle of her tour to Austronesia. Um, the Pacific Rim, which made her like have to leave her tour and come back to Britain for this general election. And then the election. Oh, my God. What? Yeah. Very like inconvenient timing. But I think it was like purposeful. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Everything's political. You just have to like assume everything's politically motivated these days. So like the election was resulted in a hung parliament. And so uh, Heath, Edward Heath was like a conservative and they weren't the largest party, but they could like the agreement was they could stay in office if they formed a coalition with the liberals. Um, but these like discussions failed and he stepped down. So now she's like out of a prime minister and she had to ask the leader of the the other party, the opposition, the Labour Party to form a new government, you know, because this guy had stepped down. Um, and then just oh my God. Just a year later, she had issues with the Australian prime minister, a guy named Go Whitlam. Uh, he was dismissed from his post um, after the opposition-controlled Senate rejected his budget proposals. Um, and he, like Whitlam, had a majority in their House of Representatives. And so the speaker actually appealed to the queen to ask her to reverse the decision. Um, wow. And- yeah, because he had, like, I don't know, it reminds me very much of, like, the popular vote, right? Like, he had the majority, but, you know, something. Yeah. Wait, was the, any of this on the crown? Um, I don't remember a lot of it being, you I know, don't... the Australia. Please? Maybe just, like, her going yeah. on. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is crazy. Like, how did, I wonder how they chose what things to, like, because, I mean, 
good lord. The, so like, you watch it and you're like, oh, this is so, like, dramatized and whatever. But, like, think about it. They picked, like, the most interesting, <laughs> like, events that happened. And just below that are, like, millions of other crazy interesting exactly. Exactly. things that if they happened in your life, that would be, like, the one, like, craziest thing that ever happened in your life. But she's yeah. just, like, living it, living it, living it. Like, yeah, it, it, it's really later in her crown you know and her time she there's a lot that's happening so yeah this um, is crazy okay yeah so she actually so they you know the speaker a man named Gordon Scholes appealed to her to reverse the decision to keep the prime minister in place um but she declined saying that she would not interfere with decisions reserved by the constitution of Australia for their governor general and this whole crisis really started to fuel um, Republicanism in Australia. So if they weren't already, you know, wanting to separate or have less of a connection to the crown, they definitely were now. Um, Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So in 1977, uh, she celebrated her Silver Jubilee, which is the 25th anniversary of her um, reign. And there was parties and events like all over the Commonwealth, um, the colonies. And um, they, you know, definitely, you know, coincided with different tours that she, you know, they're always fucking touring, right? Like, if that's one thing the Royals know how to do, like, everybody's always touring, like, got to check in on the fucking colony still, like, make sure they're good. I know. I know. Well, they can't lose them. Right? They can't lose anymore. <laughs> I, I always think it's so weird when they're, like, in Canada. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's, that's, I was like, oh my God, when we just recently visited Canada and I'm like, if the queen dies and we're in Canada, like, I don't think we're going to be able to leave the country. <laughs> yeah, that would be pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. <sighs> okay. So, so these celebrations kind of helped to reaffirm her popularity, you know, during this time, um, because yeah. at the same time, her sister, Princess Margaret, was separating from her husband, uh, Lord Snowden. So that was getting a ton of attention, as you'll see. And I mean, bad. Yeah. Pe- I mean, people were like, you know, divorce equals just, oh, God. Like, people would just, who who supported the royals their whole lives would be like, oh, divorce? No, I'm, I am, these people are trash. As well, far as I'm concerned. And it's that, I mean, like, again, I don't want to go into it. But Margaret, like, couldn't marry the love of her life because he was divorced. Now she marries this guy who really is, you know, a love of her life in a different way. But it ends in divorce, you know. And it's just, like, the times. Uh, just right. Yes. Yes. I know. Yeah. So hypocritical and dumb looking back on it. But that's really how it was. Mm. Yeah, so that was getting, like, bad um, publicity. And then also, interesting enough, um, in 1978, the Queen had a state visit from the Romanian communist leader. I'm going to get this guy's name wrong, but, and I listened to how to pronounce and everything, like, five <laughs> times. But <laughs> um, Nikolai Ceausescu? <laughs> yes, Nikolai Ceausescu. Okay. Yes. Okay. And his wife, um, but apparently, like, privately, the queen thought they had blood on their hands from their communist regime, but she still chose to entertain a state visit, you know, so that could have also maybe given some bad oh. Um, Yeah, and then also at the end of, like, the 70s, two big things that, you know, brought personal blows to her was um, 
Anthony Blunt, he was a former surveyor of the Queen's pictures, and he was revealed to be a communist spy. And I do remember them, them talking about that on The Crown a little bit. And then also... Yeah, yeah. Okay, I vaguely can picture this happening. Yeah, so that same year, the assassination of her um, in-law, Lord Mountbatten, by the Provisional Irish Republican Army. Uh, so that's, you know, her husband, Philip's um, father, or, you know, I can't remember exactly. Not not father. Uh, sorry. Brother. Not, brother. Right? Yeah, not father. Might have been someone. It definitely not his father, but I think. Right. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> anyway, no, yeah, you're right. Yeah. His family. Obviously, we... Or didn't do that much in-depth research, people, okay? <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, the Mountbatten's, I don't know. I, yeah. Everyone's a cousin. Like, um, Philip is Elizabeth's, like, second cousin. Right. It was trying times, whatever. Um, so, <laughs> moving on into the 1980s, um, this is where things get pretty crazy in the eighties for, you know, and like, we're also seeing a rise in media and an interest in the Royal family, like in the public. Eye. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just more accessible too. And like so many more ways to choose, you know, mm -hmm. uh, where you want to get your information and from. So. Happening, you know, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. That's kind of used to be frowned upon, you know, so people are definitely interested. Um, yep. So this was pretty crazy. In 1981, during a Trooping of the Color ceremony, six weeks before um, Charles and Diana got married, six shots were fired at the Queen from close range as she rode Ooh. down the mall in London on her horse, um, Burmese. And um, it turned out the shots were actually blanks. They were fired by a 17-year-old named Marcus Sargent. Um, and the queen was like noted and praised for her composure and like actually her skill at controlling her horse during that. Okay. Number one, Taurus. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Number two, I cannot wait until they, I mean, this is going to be in the show, right? We're not at this point in the series, The Crown, right? No, this was right before they got, um, Diana and Charles got married. So we are past that. Yeah. So oh, I you're right. This wasn't on. This it. wasn't on the show, right? I don't remember. I need to go back. I don't think so. I think that would have been a really scary scene to watch, right? Like, and that's the thing. There's so much craziness that happens in the '80s because like, I did. I feel like I did never heard that information before in my life. Because you know what? That's not the only assassination attempt. Woman <gasps> in the '80s, okay? <laughs> oh my God. This see, this is now where it's getting really interesting because this is like you know they do show a little bit more into the show like you were saying yeah it is past this time I forgot like Diana's in it now like we're there um oh yeah but yeah oh my god so okay uh, so when crazy when she was on the horse the guy who did it Marcus Sargent he was 17 he was sentenced to five years in prison but was released after three um definitely doesn't seem like I mean like the sentencing <sighs> in England just you know compared to here it doesn't really seem like it tracks but um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like, come again. Um, but then just months later, she was the subject of another attack when she was on a visit to Dundon, New Zealand. And um, 
So some documents that were declassified in 2018 by the New Zealand Security Intelligence Service said that another 17-year-old, Christopher John Lewis, fired a shot with a 22 rifle from the fifth floor of a building overlooking a parade, but he missed her. So the first one, they were blanks. This one was actually like an actual shot. And I don't oh know. Oh, my God. To offend 17-year-olds, but they were after her that year. Wait, was this on the show? <laughs> I need to watch again. Oh, my God. Two assassination attempts. That's right. Um, so he, Lewis was arrested, but never charged with attempted murder or treason in New Zealand um, and sentenced to three years in jail for unlawful possession and discharge of a firearm. At least they've got their firearm laws. <laughs> under wow. Him. Wow. Um, yeah, it's craziness. Uh, so two years into his sentence, actually, he attempted to escape a psychiatric hospital in order to try to assassinate Charles and Diana, who are visiting the country um, with Prince William. Little side um, note. You'd think if they went to go visit that country, anyone in the royal family, they'd be like, oh, remember this guy? Can we just, like, make sure he's, like, spoken for at all times? <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, I don't think he was a, a successful, but they did say he attempted to escape. Um, yeah. So another crazy, um, you know, crime that I guess the queen was a victim of at this time was on July 9th, she woke up in her bedroom in Buckingham Palace to find an intruder in there, a guy named Michael Fagan, just hanging out in her room. Oh um, my God, that's my worst nightmare. So scary. I would just scream my head off. Um, I'm probably going to talk about this more later. So we each yes. picked like a, um, we each picked a event in her life that we wanted to get more into. So I, I love how she handled this and, you know. I oh my God. I cannot wait to hear about this now. Okay. I'm like, I, I vaguely know of this story, but literally my worst nightmare this was on the literally yes okay okay good because I did I did feel like I could see it like in my mind her like talking to this guy but okay yeah we'll get there I'm excited to relive this moment <laughs> yes yes so um also in the 80s uh Liz was hanging out with Ronald Reagan a U.S. president Oh, God. Uh, he came to Windsor Castle in 1982, and then she went out to his California ranch in 1983. Um, but he pissed her off because his administration ordered the invasion of Grenada, which is um, one of her Caribbean realms, like countries in her realm, um, without informing her. So um, that relationship got strained after that. Um, and then, like I said, during this time, like there was really intense, like media interest in the private lives of the royal family um they were also starting to be like ridiculed more in the press um oh for sure it was like let's practice our freedom of speech like in the press um Um, and this was also as we know the british tabloids don't always get everything correct so this was a big time they were just printing whatever whether it was true or not um oh yeah this is like tabloid this is the time for tabloids. Absolutely. 80 right here. London. Mm-hmm. They're going to print whatever. So, like, the most probably notable untrue story that was printed that caused a lot of drama was the Sunday Times um, reported in 1986 that the Queen was worried about then-Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher's economic policies 
um, that because there was like a lot of high unemployment, there had been a series of riots. Um, and then there was a miners' strike that was very violent. Um, and she also had refused to apply sanctions against the apartheid regime in South Africa. Um, oh. we're saying that the queen was just like upset. She lost her trust in Margaret Thatcher, you know, um, and the sources for the rumors were supposedly a Royal aide, um, Michael Shea and a secretary general, Siddharth Ramphal. But Shea says that his remarks were taken way out of context and embellished by speculation. Um, so mm. this caused like some acrimony against, you know, Thatcher and the queen. But in the end, like when Thatcher stepped down and it, um, was transitioning power to um, John Major, the next prime minister, the queen gave her two honors and a personal gift, um, which was the membership in the Order of Merit and the Order of the Garter, you know, to thank her for her service. Yeah, so I think at the very least, they recognized like that. Okay, we are like women and we are both in like huge mm -hmm. roles and let's do this respectfully. Like even if they hated each other, um, I think they were both so professional and like <clears throat> just kind of, I don't know, yeah. both level-headed. Was she a tourist too? I don't know. I don't know, but <laughs> like I definitely think, think, yeah, they. I don't think they did hate each other. You know, I'm sure this like story really puts like a strain on the relationship, but that yeah. was someone else, you know, doing that. I think they did respect each other. Yeah. Um, you yeah, know, that would to be a fly in the wall in one of their meetings, you know. Gosh, I know, right? I right. Wow. So, um, speaking of apartheid, actually, I was pleasantly surprised to hear that Brian Mulroney, the com uh, Canadian Prime Minister from 1984 to 1993, said that Queen Elizabeth was a behind-the-scenes force in ending apartheid in South Africa. So, wow, uh, good. Yeah, good use of her influence for good. Um. Speaking of some other Canadians, <laughs> uh, in 1980, Canadian uh, politicians were sent to London to discuss that uh, the Canadian Constitution, um, you know, and the Queen. Um, they were they were going through this process called partition that they were going. It was a bill to like remove her, kind of like as the head of state, but still keep her connected you know it would okay <laughs> connected yeah. quote unquote it's just a term queen elizabeth it's just a term it's fine right so they said it removed okay. the role of the british parliament from the canadian constitution but the monarchy was retained so like they just they could have their own you know parliament without any influence from britain but like they're still gonna respect and kiss the ring and all that you know <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. okay so this is like their they're taking kind of almost their last step away from like, yeah, okay, yeah. and so our uh, own thing. Right. And like, so these um, British politicians came to like, you know, discuss this with her and they found that she was like better informed uh, than any other, you know, British politicians or bureaucrats that they had met with previously. Uh, so she was definitely like up to speed on what was happening. And wow. This was during um, Pierre Trudeau, Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau's father's um, mm -hmm. term in Canada. And um, it was interesting. I read a few things that it, it seemed like these two, he and Liz, didn't really get along very well. Um, <laughs> so she said that she felt like um, the crown had little meaning for Trudeau um, back in the 1970s. 
um, because he apparently slid down a banister in Buckingham Palace <laughs> and then no. like a pirouette behind her back one time. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. And quick side note, if you guys like want to hear a crazy story, listen to the podcast Disgraceland about the Rolling Stones and how like uh, I think it's Mick Jagger like was hooking up with Pierre Trudeau's wife like and (laughs) it's crazy like they like hooked up or something crazy and they were big partiers and oh a time to be alive in Canada. (laughs) I can you even imagine and like I was just thinking also of like just the stories that Queen Elizabeth has, like that we're never going to know. And she's still alive. Like get these stories out of this woman. Like hopefully she has secretly been like Mm -hmm. keeping diaries of like all these historical figures, like that are long gone. What, like it would be so cool to hear about like what the queen thought of like meeting that person or like what they're really like. And she would never, you know, just cause she, but, um, but yeah, so Pierre Trudeau did say in his memoirs that the queen favored his attempt to reform the constitution. And he was impressed by the grace she displayed in public and the wisdom she showed in private. Um, okay. So into the nineties now, um, the Gulf war, comes to an end and Britain is part of a coalition victory. Uh, and the queen is actually the first um, British monarch to address a joint meeting of Congress after that, of, of the United States Congress, which is. Oh. Um, and so in a speech um, the next year on 1992 to mark her Ruby Jubilee, the 40th anniversary, um, she called 1992 her Annus Horribilis, her or her horrible year. That's in Latin. Um, oh a lot of that into her in 1992. <laughs> Not a good year for the queen. Okay, what happened in 92? We were in what second grade? Yeah, yep. So okay, Republican feeling in Britain had arisen like more than ever because the press was estimating and reporting the um, queen's private wealth. Uh, which contradicted, you know, which was being contradicted by the palace. Uh, there was, you know, oh. reports of affairs and strained marriages in her family. In March of that year, Prince Andrew and Sarah Ferguson separated. In April, Princess Anne divorced her husband, Captain Mark Phillips. Oh um, my gosh. Yeah. Then, then she goes on a state visit to Germany in October, and angry demonstrators in Dresden threw eggs at her. <laughs> No. Oh, God. Then the next month, a large fire broke out in Windsor Castle, one of her official residencies. Good thing she has more than one official (laughs) residency to go to. (laughs) You know, people were like at her door with like sage and like, right? Queen, you need to manifest. (laughs) Start manifesting. Do a dream. dream board or whatever right I know it's like what is going on like there's a hex or something um yes seriously so yeah like I said there was like a large amount of criticism and public scrutiny happening um and the queen did say you know publicly she said that any institution must expect criticism but suggested that it be done with a touch of humor gentleness and understanding you know and let's also remember this woman never asked for this job either okay yeah, that's true. I know. <laughs> yeah, she's just really stepped right in there. 
Yeah. And my God, if you really look at these situations, like she did stay as level-headed as humanly possible, like with everything that was going on. I mean, God. Yeah. You can't react. You can't just react to things, right? You know what I mean? Like she just had to live a life without immediate reaction which I could never do (laughs) never oh my gosh yes so also like two days later um oh wait why is it two days later that doesn't matter sorry (laughs) that doesn't (laughs) need to be in there but also within (laughs) the prime minister John Major um announced reforms to the royal finances um, which included the Queen paying income tax now <laughs> from 1993 on. So, uh, yes, Queen, you didn't ask for this job, but you are richer than God. So I do believe you need to pay taxes. <laughs> yes. Wow. Okay. Because I always thought the taxpayers paid for, I thought the taxpayers paid for like the monarchy. No. Yeah, I don't know how that works. I mean, the monarchy obviously gets, like, I think huge breaks and stuff like that, too. You know, I don't know. How oh, that- okay. I thought, I thought like, the people paid the money, which is why it's, like, mm-hmm. whenever they do something, like, too extravagant, people get mad because it's, like, that's, yeah, like, public money. some of our money or something. Yeah, they're, they're, it has to be connected in a way because people always are, like mad about yeah yeah i can see that especially now there's definitely still like a very you know big republican movement to this day um in the country um okay also in december let's round out the year with uh prince charles and diana formally separating the kids (laughs) boom boom boom, 1992 (laughs) where's edward at this point he's like i'm like five i don't know oh my god wow that that is crazy yeah three the year also a lawsuit um, where the queen sued the Sun newspaper, a newspaper for a breach of co- uh, copyright because it published the text of her annual Christmas message two days before it was broadcast. They scooped <gasps> the queen. Like, who do they think they are? And what? Yeah. <laughs> like, why? Why are you gonna do that to the queen? It's the Christmas message. <sighs> it's not even. Yeah. Like- why would they do that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so the newspaper was forced to pay her legal fees and donated 200,000 pounds to charity. Um, okay. That's fair, I guess. Yeah. So then, you know, now we're getting into like really just like revelations around Charles and Diana's marriage and, you know, adultery, um, you know, during this time it's, you know, the press is going wild with it. Um, but you know, uh, the Queen still has pretty high approval ratings, despite, you know, Republicanism and all the scrutiny around the family. Um, uh, and so in consultation with her husband, the Prime Minister, John Major, uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury, George Carey, and her private secretary, Robert Fellows, she decided that Charles and Diana could get divorced and wrote to them at the end of December 1995. So this is like a couple years later saying that they could get divorced. Wow. And this probably really killed her because he's going to be king. You know what I mean? Like in her mind, he is the future king. So like his life is, I'm sure, you know. Well, she's like, if I have to stay married to Philip, you got to stay married. to her. (laughs) Yes. yes. Well, like tradition wise. Yeah, totally. 
Yeah, yeah. So I think it took, she obviously, you know, had say in her sister's marriages. It's just crazy. These like four high up people determined whether or not these two individuals who weren't even part of this discussion could get divorced. Like, (laughs) I know it's, it's so, it's like so stupid. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Wow. So then sad, sadness happens in August 1997, um, a year after the divorce, when Diana was killed in a car crash in Paris, as we all know, um, the queen was on holiday with her extended family at Balmoral and um, Diana and Charles's sons, Prince William and Harry, uh, wanted to attend church so that um, so the queen and the Duke of Edinburgh took them there that morning. Um, but then she was really noted for um, shielding her grandsons during the, you know, five days that followed, which was really intense press um, interest. She kept them at Balmoral where they could like grieve in private. Um, and so she was very yeah. protective of them. And I mean, this was the height of like, you know, 80s, early 90s. Yes, the height of, um, you know, tabloids and this and that. But like, this time was like People Magazine, like the weeklies and oh, like kind of the start of the internet almost like you're getting up to date almost like breaking news. So everybody is running to the newsstands. Like, so any picture these paparazzi could get of these grieving little boys. So I'm sure she did have to step up and say like, this yeah. it like get these kids away from anyone that could take a picture of them because that was like that's when the paparazzi were just like dirty dirty would do anything like to get the picture getting paid like mm-hmm. you know it was like a hot job to have at the time so like so yeah. sad and like so sad. above all you know she is a grandmother she's a mother like I don't know yeah, if you've seen true. the of her like running after William because he's like getting too close to a carriage when he's a little kid and she's like chasing after him you know like yeah those instinctual things that she does um you know so in private she she was spending her time being a grandmother but there was public scrutiny um because of her failure to fly a flag at half mast over Buckingham Palace um and also the royal family was very silent on the death of diana which you know like maybe they were grieving but the country also was expecting more the people loved diana you know so um, yeah but it's like she wasn't in the family anymore so where do you right exactly you know where do you put the line down so and you know she is normally very like by the book so something she just doesn't seem like she wants to you know she does come off very cold sometimes I think yeah um but I think that's kind of like you were saying like Taurus right like she's like very composed and like keeping things in check um so you know this did add pressure to her and she agreed to return to London and do a live television broadcast on September 5th the day before Diana's funeral um where she expressed admiration for Diana and her feelings as a grandmother for their two, the two princes, you know, that Diana gave her. Um, And so as a result of that, the public hostility really died down. Um, Yeah. So, um, and then into the two thousands, I mean, I know I I won't, I'm not really going to cover like, you know, what just happened with COVID and all that, but, you know, just some, some interesting points in the two thousands, the, the uh, queen marked her diamond Jubilee 60 years on the throne. 
Um, amazing. And yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she wrote, and she wrote this little message. She said, in this special year, as I dedicate myself anew to your service, I hope we will all be reminded of the power of togetherness and the convening strength of family, friendship, and good neighborliness. I also hope that the Jubilee year will be a time to give thanks for the great advances that have been made since 1952 and look forward to the future with a clear head and warm heart. So again, a dedicated servant, you know, before anything. Um, yeah. Yep. Um, she and Philip also took an extensive tour of the UK during this time, and she sent her kids off on some more Commonwealth tours. Like I said, love to do tours, especially during the Jubilees. Um, She's a tourist. She's yep. a tourist. <laughs> and I love this. Um, a little side note I learned. Um, in June, she was touring Manchester as part of her Jubilee celebrations, and she made a surprise appearance at a wedding at a Manchester town hall, um, which went on to make, like, international headlines. So I yeah, just, Yeah, like, could you imagine? Love that. You know, it's like when you hear people like, oh, so-and-so ran into a celebrity at their wedding, and, like, you know, you see photos that circulate around the internet, like, the yeah. just, like, wedding crashed. <laughs> Oh my God. I love that so much. That is great. Like I'm the queen. I'm going to go down there and like, yeah. they're going to be thrilled that I'm <laughs> crashing their wedding. I mean, oh my God. really, she's really quite a card, you know? So yeah. um, in 2012, she opened the summer Olympic games and the Paralympic games in London, um, making it her, um, the first head of state to open two Olympic games in two countries because she also opened the games in Montreal in 1976. Oh, uh, I was just staying <laughs> next to the Olympic stadium yeah. in Montreal. So that's the first time she did it. And then she did it again in 2012 in London. Um, and so for the London Olympics, she played herself in a short film as part of the opening ceremony alongside Daniel Craig as James Bond. James Bond. Yes, I remember this. And I remember like corgis, the yes. corgis like running through in the commercial, right? Yes, I, I believe so. Um, I got to look it up. I need to watch it again. I just love that she was part of that. <sighs> you know, Classic. Um, she's also started to have some health, you know, issues. She is, um, you know, I'm very senior now. Um, and so she started to limit her traveling in 2013. She chose not to attend a, um, biannual Commonwealth heads of government meeting for the first time in 40 years. Um, and she was represented by Prince Charles. She underwent cataract surgery in May, 20, uh, 2018. And in March, 2019, she opted to give up driving on public roads, largely as a consequence of a car crash involving her husband. <laughs> <laughs> I like opted to. You know they were like, "Come on, mom." Yeah, it's like the thing. It's like you can either leave or we can fire you. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I think it's like, did she even? It was one of those things that where it's like, did she? Like, I can't remember if this is accurate or not, so I shouldn't speculate. But like, she didn't even really have like a driver's license. They were just like, "Oh, queen." Like, no, you she doesn't need one. Yeah. There's, there's, yeah. A, there is a um thing I was reading it was like all oh, these like fun facts about the queen she doesn't have to have a license or a passport uh, yeah I mean I guess they're just like yeah you're the queen right <laughs> yeah I guess could I try to like walk around being the queen and they're like okay yeah. oh she said she's the queen she doesn't have yeah. to have one um, they only just started paying taxes so maybe identification <laughs> is coming <laughs> yeah I think I think so <laughs> it should be 
Uh, so she has also surpassed her great great grandmother, Queen Victoria, to become the longest lived British monarch in the um, during the 2000s, which was on uh, December 21st, 2007. And um, she's also the longest reigning British monarch, the longest reigning queen regent, um, and the female head of state in the or the ho- longest reigning sorry queen regent and female head of state in the world. <laughs> uh, okay. She- Became the longest reigning current monarch and longest serving head of state following the death of um, the king of Thailand in 2016 and uh, is now the oldest current head of state after the resignation of Robert Mugabe on November 21st, 2017. So she's the oldest and the longest of them all. Okay, people, that's all you need to know. Right. I mean, and and like... I mean, don't they have some some places, at least maybe, like, historically, like, there will be rulers that are, like, born, like, once, they're, like, once this baby's born, they will rule, and, like, they've lived their whole lives, but, like, she has been mm-hmm. queen for, like, over 70 years. Yeah, only like, that is five, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, God, that is, like, as long as a lot of people's lives. I don't so. need to all the titles, but, <laughs> but yes, um, she also celebrated her 70th wedding anniversary. Um, I believe that year, um, 2017, you know, like we said, she, she was with Philip till the very end. Um, and on April 20th, 2018, the government leaders of the Commonwealth of Nations announced that she will be succeeded by Charles as head of the Commonwealth. So all of those people out there who are really holding on for a skip and thought maybe William. <laughs> it's a fifth. I know. I knew that wasn't going to happen. I mean. Yeah. Well, the queen did say it was her sincere wish that Charles would follow in her role. So. Yeah. And I think she's like, eh, it's only going to be a few years. I think it'll be fine. Like if I prep him enough, he'll do fine <laughs> for a couple of years. Let's let, just let him have it. <laughs> so yeah, that was the action packed second half of her life. Um, <clears throat> wow. A lot. I know it was a lot of people. Um, but yeah, I, I think we had, um, because there's so much, like we, like we said, we went through everything, tried to give you background, tried to give you some context, but um, we kind of wanted to pick out a couple events that interest us um, that we, you know, loved learning more about um, with the queen to focus on for, you know, a couple little d- deep dives. Is that right? Yeah. Just a little side, side note stories that are like, crazy and mine actually was um featured in the crown but uh, so i'm gonna be doing the aber fan disaster Uh. um yeah so this this like i was just saying what's that get the tissues yes yeah get the tissues i mean this is why i chose this um because in the crown it was like the most emotional i think Maybe also because I have kids and this like is so sad about like what happens to these children, but um, it was so depressing. So I'm gonna depress us all with this really sad. Um, I mean, it's really you know interesting just to see how the queen handles like a tragedy like this. So you know, yeah, and this yeah, this was like so mm-hmm. bad. Okay, so if you're not familiar, the Aberfan disaster 
happened on October 21st, 1966. So we're going back to the 60s, um, you know, as she's having, like, Prince Andrew, Prince Edward. Um, Okay, so it's one of the UK's worst mining disasters, and it wipes out an entire generation of Welsh school children. Just devastating. Hence, disaster. Um, So an avalanche made of coal waste from a mine mixed with land from the rain saturate, like the rain saturated mountainside. Um, so basically the water got mixed in with all this coal waste from the coal mine. I'll get into it, but it was like created, think like a landslide. Yeah, like a mudslide. Yeah. Mudslide. Thank you. Yes. That's the word I'm looking for. Mudslide. Um, so it raced down this steep hill in Aberfan, Wales and literally took down everything in its path, including 144 people's lives, not to mention like buildings and all this and all that. Um, Most of the victims were school children. And what's even worse is that the entire disaster could have been totally avoided. So this wasn't just like, oh, a random natural disaster. No, this was like a man-made ticking time bomb (laughs) disaster basically um and you might be wondering how qe2 fits in here um comes in doesn't come in that was a little joke i wrote um (laughs) because she doesn't come in okay she this is kind of like on one of her kind of scandalous times of like being really um criticized for a decision that she makes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this disaster happens, which I'll kind of get more into of like how exactly this disaster did happen. But so all these children die from this like mudslide, mudslide type thing. So Queen Elizabeth II at first refused to visit this village, this Welsh village, um, sparking criticism in the press and questions about why she wouldn't go. So finally, after sending her husband, Prince Philip, in her place for a formal visit, she did end up going eight days later. So eight days after the disaster, she does go to survey the damage and speak with survivors. Um, And in uh, 2002, nearly 40 years later, um, the queen actually spoke out about this incident and she said that not visiting Aberfan immediately after uh, the disaster was her biggest regret. That's what I thought I was going to say. I know she's mentioned this as her, you know, biggest misjudgment and biggest regret. And yeah. 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 So um, supposedly she didn't want to go because she knew that her presence would probably take away from the search and rescue efforts, um, which I think she would think because they make such a big to do whenever she visits anywhere, you know? So I think she really just didn't want to like kind of impose herself there where like, she's thinking, what am I going to do there? You know, get on my hands and knees and rummage through the rubble with these people. Like I can't do that. I would just be a distraction. Sorry. That was my dog. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I thought you were like, right. Yes. Okay. Tripod. Tripod is like, yes. <laughs> Thank you. Um, 
Okay, so I think this might have been the right call, but she says it's, like, the biggest regret, so. Yeah, I mean, I don't um, know. I think it's, like, you know, so, and let's think about it in American terms, when there's, like, a mass shooting somewhere, like, the president goes just to, like, kind of be there for the community, you know, yes. like, I'm here with you, you know, like, physically. And it gets, it brings national or international attention. Right. Yes. Okay, so, so I think. That's like what was expected of her. But like you were saying, maybe she's like, well, I don't want to be a distraction, you know, either. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what, what she was thinking, but they were kind of like urging her to go. And, um, she was in one of those damned, if you do damned, if you don't right. moments, you know? So, um, I think either, cause if she did go and then it was like all about her, people would blame her. Yeah. I mean, I really can't win. Maybe, and this is me totally just speculating, but, like, her being such a, like we've said, Taurus, you know, very, you know, cool, calm, collected, like, knowing that it's children and not knowing yeah. how she's going to react and whether she could keep it together to be the strong leader. Are you kidding? Something. She's probably still going through, like, a traumatic whatever, like, after having four children at this point, I think she had. Yeah. So, yeah. You yeah. are, like, not okay. Like... <laughs> mentally you're you're like a mess strong but I, didn't know if she could yeah. be yeah i i could never imagine no matter no matter like how stoic you may appear like that is just a nightmare situation to have to go to um and act as like a strong person when you could how could you ever be strong like in the face of over 100 children dying from a mudslide basically from this natural, not a natural disaster, but a man-made disaster. Just hor horrific. Um, so here's a little more background on the actual disaster. So Wales had become the place for coal mining during the Industrial Revolution. So it's like uh, the place to be in the coal mining industry. Um, at its peak in 1920, 271,000 workers labored in the country's coal pits. So in Wales, there's a lot of people in the coal mining industry, you know, at whatever level. Um, so by the 1960s, coal mining was in decline, um, but was still a lifeline for some 8,000 miners and their families around this community, Aberfan. So, you know, it's not an up and coming place, that's for sure. It was kind of like a poor coal mining. Working class, yeah. Work, yes, definitely. Like everyone who lived there, basically someone in their family worked in the mines, if not everyone in their family. Um, so um, apparently coal mining creates waste, like, you know. <laughs> I guess when you're mining, yeah, you do have waste. Um, and the waste Hashtag rock change now. <laughs> what's that? Hashtag climate change now. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm like glad this is in decline. Like, um, okay, so the waste rock was dumped in an area called a tip. So it's basically like these man-made mountains. I mean, when you look at it, you're like, oh, those are just mountains. You know, like if you if they you look, look up pictures of this, yeah, they look like yeah. big hills, mountains, like outside yeah. Of town. Yeah. Um. So they're called tips, and this place called 
Merthyr Vale had seven tips. So this coal mining operation, this specific one, right next to this town, this little village in Aberfan, it had seven tips. So seven man-made mountain-type things made out of this coal waste. Um, so by 1966, the seventh tip, which had begun in 1958, so like around-ish 10 years before, was about 111 feet high and contained nearly 300,000 cubic yards of waste. And it was precariously placed on sandstone above a natural spring, which lay right on the steep hill right above the village. So this particular tip that they were building of all this coal waste was right next to this village and I mean if this thing slid down the side of the mountain these people are like that's like catastrophic what what are you doing yeah and there's a natural Um, spring that you know is just could have water you know to mix all together yeah sure yeah yep yep so you know they're not thinking of that they're like whatever we don't care so as mining progressed the heaps of waste grew and grew of course And in 1963 and 1964, the residents and local officials had raised concerns about the seventh tip's location with the National Coal Board. So, again, right on the edge of this village, you know, there's a children's school right at the bottom of this this man-made coal waste Mm -hmm. that could potentially mix with this natural spring underneath um, at any moment. Um, But this National Coal Board... They owned and operated the mine, and, um, you know, the village people were, like, super worried. There's this, so the school down the hill is called Pantglass Junior School, and there was about 240 students that went to this little school right at the bottom of this mountain. Um, You know, National Coal Board, we're kind of concerned about this, whatever, whatever, they don't care. They're like, no, it's fine. We're not doing anything about it. Coal board doesn't care. Like, isn't there someone else who needs to weigh in on this decision? I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. Not the people that own the mine that are like, no, we're like continuing our business as is like, and the people in the town are like, okay, uh, what else can they do? You know? Heartless. So Yeah. So on October 21st, students at Pantglass were only scheduled for a half day of school ahead of a midterm break. Mm-hmm. So it was like, you know, oh, yay, last half day of school before a break, always the best. Um, it had been a rainy day, but in Wales, not unusual. Um, not only had it been raining for weeks, but the area got at least 60 inches of rain annually. So it's like, OK, this place is known to be like a rainy place. So the children had just arrived at school um, when this kind of avalanche happened. So saturated by rain, the fine coal material pile uh, piled up on the hill liquefied into a thick slurry and began hurtling toward them. So it's like, an you know, you watch those avalanche videos in the mountains with the snow. You could never outrun one of those. Right. So this, think of that, like that is what taking down structures and buildings and yeah, 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 yeah. So 
It happened so quickly that nobody could prepare. Students heard a sound like a jet plane. Uh. It was black quicksand burying everything in its path. And the slurry hit the school, slamming its walls to rubble and pouring in through the windows. Pipes burst and water began flowing outside the school. (laughs) So just a complete disaster. Like a whole bunch of people lost their children. Like it's insane. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Like literally half the school. So down the hill, uh, the town, which had begun to flood from uh, streams clogged with debris, sprang into action. Emergency workers and volunteers ran up toward the school to help. Um, it says civil defense teams, miners, policemen, firemen, and other volunteers toiled desperately, sometimes tearing at coal rubble with their bare hands to extricate the children, reported the New York Times. Bulldozers shoved debris aside to get to the children. A hush fell on the rescuers once when fainted cries were heard in the rubble. (laughs) Yeah. Which harkens back to like, 9-11 searching you know just like you do hear those stories about like oh they heard something and it's like eerily quiet but there's so many people searching but it's like if you think you hear something everybody goes quiet so they can make sure like okay am I hearing something am I not do I keep digging what's going on just so just uh, I would never want to have to be in a situation like that. Oh my God, no. It's horrific. Oh, so bad. Um, so Alex Palmer, a young journalist on his first major assignment, went to Aberfan. So this is like this kid's first major assignment. Um, goes to report on the uh, rescue efforts. Um, it had been hours since anyone had been pulled out alive. And he says the fathers straight from the pit were digging. He wrote to his mother afterward. Uh, no one had yet really given up hope, although logic told them it was useless. So, I mean, these people are just like, at this point, I just want a body. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that is, it's just nightmare after nightmare. Yeah. Um, so, in the aftermath, the true scale of the disaster became clear. 144 people were dead. Uh, 116 of them were children. And yeah, like I am just so shocked. Like we said, we never, I've never heard of this before the crown. Never. Didn't know about this. Like, you know, it, it, it was obviously a worldwide event, a huge disaster, but. Yeah, you would think would be like change regulations. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe it did a little bit, but, you know. Um, okay, so half of the village's children had been killed. Um, it wow. says, quote, All of our friends were gone, said Jeff Edwards, who survived the disaster, pinned beneath his desk, he told BBC in 2016. So this is one of the survivors, which then you have survivor's guilt and PTSD. And I mean, just think of this, the life that this guy, Jeff Edwards, had to live, too. It's just like, God, so just so, 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 so sad. Um. A tribunal later concluded that the National Coal Board was responsible for the disaster after examining 300 exhibits and interviewing 136 witnesses. Quote, the Aberfan disaster could and should have been prevented, said the tribunal in its report. The disaster was a matter, quote, not of wickedness, but of ignorance. 
and ineptitude and a failure in communications and greed it was really yeah actually yeah which is like everything boils down to you know um tale as old as time if you will um, so Great Britain quickly mobilized on behalf of the people in Aberfan. The Aberfan Disaster Memorial Fund, which was set up on the day of the disaster, raised the equivalent of $16.6 million in like modern day money. Um, and the money was used to pay for repairs in the village and the care of those who were injured and bereaved in the disaster. But the money also had to help pay for the removal of the remaining tips that lurked above the village. So those Remember, this was the number seven tip. There were six others. Yeah. Um, I got so pick up and like, move, people. Yeah, it reminds me of GE in my hometown that left our riverways with PCBs and just up and left. And they don't have to do anything about it. And they do it all over the country. So I'm assuming similar situation. Um, but I digress. (laughs) Oh my God. Um, okay. So it says the head of the national coal board refused to visit Aberfan and parents of children and parents of children had to prove they were close, quote, close to their children to receive a payment of 500 pounds, 500 pounds from the board. Oh my God. And how that they were close? Like they came, I, I don't know. They probably, they probably just wanted to inconvenience them to have to do it. And if they were lazy enough to not go through the hoops, then yeah. they don't deserve it. It's it's sure going, can. yeah, making people go through hoops who have just had the most horrible thing ever happen to them. Like, I know, it's crazy. So the funds for removing the tips were only repaid in 1997 without interest. So there, this happened in 1966 and in 1997, yeah, the funds for removing the tips were repaid, but without interest. Yeah. So yeah, just Uh. some icing on the cake. Um, So someone else had lingering heartache about the Aberfan disaster. Like we were saying, Elizabeth II um, instead of visiting herself, she sent Prince Philip in her stead. Um, we keep uh, we kept presenting the arguments, an advisor told biographer Robert Lacey, but nothing we said could persuade her. Finally, she had a change of heart and visited eight days after the slide, speaking with the village residents and showing poignant grief, an uncharacteristically emotional display for the usually stoic queen. So, and that was definitely displayed like in the crown, like she was like, crying and that was just the yep. queen would never cry in public so yep. that was yeah mm-hmm. you know i mean you can't hide that emotion um so for the people of aberdeen the visit was part of the healing process quote they were above the politics and the din and they proved uh to us that the world was with us and that the world cared um marjorie yeah. sorry yeah, Mar- Marjorie, it's okay. No, continue. Wales and not England, you know, there's always like yeah. the talk of like, oh, you know, we're only being represented in London, you know, and like these, you know, if this is the United Kingdom, like she needs to represent all the countries the same and, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, totally. Um, 
Um, okay, so this is what this mother who lost her eight-year-old son in the disaster said in 2015, that, you know, they were above the politics and whatever. But um, nothing could make it less bitter to lose a child. She said, um, I lost my daughter and we were lucky to save the lad. So an Aberdeen father. Oh, so this is what an Aberdeen father. Aberfan. Oh, my God. I can't read. I'm almost done. Um, he said, so they lost their daughter, but found their son, like, in the wreckage. So, you know, he said no amount of money will fetch any of them back, yeah. will it? So he's like, I don't fucking care if the queen comes or not. Like, it's not whatever. Back. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, just. Very true. It doesn't change anything. Yeah, so that that was kind of like what I wanted to kind of look more into because it was when I think about like, okay, what do I want to look most into about like the timeline of her being queen and like maybe what, I mean, I think that was my most memorable, like the crown episode. Yeah, I mean, she was obviously very tested, you know, then it left a lingering effect with her, like you've said, you know, yeah, so, yeah. And, and she has to make so many decisions like that you know whether or not to go or do this or you know show face or whatever and you know like for one to like really stick with her it says a lot I think mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you can't be right every single time exactly. either so yeah, exactly um okay well man that was depressing um <laughs> please bring us up please bring us up lighter <laughs> You know, I wanted to go back and explore the Michael Fagan break-in to Buckingham Palace just to beg the question, how could this happen? <laughs> like, Oh, my God. I'm not going to sleep tonight, either. This is, in, this is like, the most insane story. <laughs> I mean, and here's the thing. Michael Fagan didn't just break into Buckingham Palace once. He did it twice. <laughs> so we're going to talk about it. Oh, my God. I've been, have you been outside Buckingham Palace? I have, yes. Yes, okay, so have I, yeah. So it's like, I don't know, how the hell is, is anybody supposed to get in there? Yeah, huge gates. <laughs> You've got to be pretty determined, like Mr. Michael Fagan. So um, he was a painter and a decorator who had been married to a woman named Christine who had left him, um, and he had children with her. Uh, he was born in London in 1948, and he just so happened, fun fact, to have two sisters named... Elizabeth and Margaret. No. <laughs> yes. Wow. Um, yeah. So that's who Michael Fagan was. But his uh, first break-in in the palace happened in early June 1982. And he says he shimmied up the drain pipe Ooh. like a real little cat burglar Spider-Man man. <laughs> I what don't... the fuck? Yeah. So, he, I mean... You gotta have some good core strength or something. I I could not do that. Wait, so he's like down in the sewers with the Ninja Turtles? Like, I think it's like a on the outside of the building, like that he he uh, worked his way up and then came through a window. Um, oh and my god! Startled a housemaid who called security. Um, he ran off and disappeared before the guards arrived. But when they got there, of course they didn't believe the housemaid. <laughs> Who's like, no, why would they? She's a hysterical woman. <laughs> right. Oh who called them? They're like, oh, stop bothering us. Um, <laughs> and so while he was like, you know, hiding from the guards, he was in the palace um, and wandered around for like a half an hour. He said eating cheddar cheese and crackers. 
living his best. Because that sounds so good right now. Because snacks, you know, we all need them. And oh uh, two alarms were tripped, but the police turned them off, believing that they were just faulty. You know, even though two of them were. Oh my God. Oh my God. Um, he said he viewed some royal portraits and sat on a throne for a little while. And he drank half a bottle of white wine before getting packed <laughs> and sneaking back out. <laughs> my man, that is so creepy, though. Like, to think of, like, Michael, <laughs> it's like it's like the, um, you know, stories of, like, people who live in the walls that I love. Yeah. You know, like, it's like. It's creepy, this is a suppo- supposedly one of the most secure places probably on Earth, right? Yeah. Yeah, and to think someone had, like, been there in that space and, like, oh, God, it's so creepy, but, like, open himself. so insane. It's so funny. That there's just people constantly all around, you know, yeah. in those places, but, like, at nighttime when people are sleeping, I guess, maybe not. Um, yeah, so the second time is the one that I referenced earlier, the second mm-hmm. break-in. So that happened around 7 a.m. on July 9th, 1982. A bold time to break in because it's going to be getting lighter and people are waking up and, um, you know, so uh, he, Michael Figgins, scaled Buckingham Palace's 14 foot high perimeter wall. But how did he get over the gates? Well, and so there's with that was topped with revolving spikes and barbed wire. Yeah. (laughs) So he like somehow was able to get through over all that. Then he climbed up the drain pipe again. Um. Right, safe bet. I mean, he knows he can do it. Smart. Right, right. and he wandered into the queen's bedroom around 7.15 a.m. That only took 15 minutes for him to get into the queen's oh, bedroom. My God, this is horrifying. Um, An alarm sensor had detected his movements inside the palace, but guess what? The police thought the alarm was faulty, so they again silenced it. <laughs> What is the point of an alarm system if you just think every alarm is just, like, a faulty... What? And it's now been multiple times. You're not going to go check, at least? You Um, know what that reminds me of? It's like when you... You know when you leave, like, a store and the, um, the alarm goes off as you're walking through and you're like, I don't have anything. And you just, like, wave to the person and they're like, oh, just go ahead. You could literally have, like, so much. It's, like, reminds me of that. They're just, like, oh, whatever. It's, like, a false alarm. Like, one could break in here, right? You know? This is insane. Um, Yeah, so he, Michael Fagan, wandered the palace corridors again for several minutes before reaching the royal apartments. Uh, In one of the rooms, he broke a glass ashtray and cut his hand. Um, And he's still carrying part of, like, the glass when he entered the queen's bedroom. (gasps) Yes. Um, and so, like, you know, at the time of this incident, like, in the news, there was a really big deal that was made out of what Michael Fagan and the Queen talked about, because, like, obviously, um, they talked, you know, or, like, you know, interacted while he was in there. Um, and so, in a 1993 BBC interview with Michael Fagan, he said that um, he went to the Queen's window and opened the curtains, <laughs> at which point she realized there was an intruder. So, obviously... Um, he wanted her to know he was in there and he sat on the end of her bed. Um, but she yelled for him to leave. So he said, you know, a lot has been said about what went on in that room. And the truth is she just told me to get out. (laughs) Oh my God. 
kind of speculate that they like talked and like he shared about his personal grievances with her and like talked about the state of the country with her. But like he said, she really was just like, get out. (laughs) Oh my God. Now I don't even remember what they, did they show them kind of having like a conversation in the crowd? Okay. Okay. That's what I thought. Yeah. Well, I mean, he was there for a while. So um, eventually one of the queen's footmen took him away and offered him a drink while they waited for the police to show up. The British. I mean, the politest, right? Thanks for breaking in to the royal apartments. Can you wait over here? We'll, we'll get you a cocktail to steady your nerves before the police come. <laughs> oh, my God. That is crazy. And, she, you know, she was probably, like, acting like, I mean, at that point, it's fight or flight, right? You have to, yeah. like, think of, like, okay, she's going to use her probably, like, talking him out of it, like, you need to leave. This isn't a good idea. But I mean, at any point, he could just pull out a gun and just kill well, her he right there. Fast shard too, you know. And like that's why yeah. I wanted to do this. Um, I wanted to explore this one a little bit more because like she had to be so composed. Like I would be freaking the fuck out if I woke up and there was a man <laughs> that I didn't no, know. No, I I always say I would just die. I would just I would just faint and die. Like <laughs> I I can't even from the shock. Like I'm just just take me right there. Just end it. <laughs> right. Oh, my God. So, um, according to the Scotland Yard, the queen and a maid ushered Michael Fagan into a nearby pantry, um, you know, under the pretext of supplying him with a cigarette. And then they were able to keep him there while they waited for the police. Um, wow. This yeah, was- because he was pretty, like, just, you know, you could have someone raging and... Well, yeah, and so and he did. She have, kept him kind of like composed. I think the way did, she reacted helped. Like emotional instability, and like the the Scotland Yard report says that he claimed he was also considering cutting his wrists in front of her, mm. um, but he didn't end up doing that. Thankfully, um, you know. So obviously there was um other stuff going on with him, um, really troubled. A subsequent police report was very critical of the competence of the officers on duty <laughs> and also um, was very confused, you know, about the system that was in place. <laughs> you don't say. Yeah. You don't say. So, I don't know if they uh, reevaluated things with their security, but I'm hoping they did. There wasn't really anything about what actions were taken after his break-in. Um, I'm going to guess that they got a whole new system. Yeah, people were they upgraded they people were fired the system was upgraded for sure locks were installed um (laughs) yeah okay so yeah I mean the interesting thing is the at the time his uh, actions were a civil offense rather than a criminal offense and he was not charged with trespassing into the queen's bedroom um he was charged with the theft of the wine um, that he drank. Oh, okay. Interesting. I would probably, yeah, don't drink my wine. A hundred-year-old bottle of wine or something, you know, too. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, but the charges against him for the theft of the wine were dropped when he was committed for psychiatric evaluation. Um, and in, and interestingly, interestingly enough, Michael Fagan's mother is quoted as saying, he thinks so much of the queen. I can just imagine him wanting to simply talk and say hello and discuss his problems, you know, with her. So thank God, probably any kind of fanatic admirer, you know, just thought like, Mm -hmm. Oh, I could go 
conversation with her. Um, he spent the next three months in a psychiatric hospital before being released um, in January of 1983. Um, it wasn't until 2007, so this was 83, not until 2007 did Buckingham Palace become a designated site um, where an offense like trespassing could become a criminal offense. And that was part of like a... Wow the serious organized crime and police act of 2005. So that, yeah, I don't know why it was civil before, hmm. um, but yeah, now, now if you do it, you'll get in big trouble. <laughs> That's surprising. Yeah. 2007. Okay. They weren't trying to get that done fast. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, Michael Fagan went on to two years later, get out of jail again, these sentencing, um, <laughs> things for like trespassing and breaking <laughs> the queen. Don't get it. But um yeah, so he uh two years later he attacked a policeman at a cafe in Fishguard, Wales, and was given a three month suspended sentence. Uh in oh here's another interesting tip. In nineteen eighty three he went on to record a cover version of the Sex Pistols song I'd <gasps> Save the Queen. Okay. I was not expecting that. <laughs> Yep, with the punk band, the Bullock Brothers. So, you know, again, admiration for the Queen runs deep with Michael Fagan. Um, <laughs> wow. He's obsessed. Yeah, he is obsessed. Um, and it just kind of reminded me of these, you know, how he's like, do, probably doing it for a little publicity, too. He's known, obviously, as this guy now. So he's trying mm -hmm. to stay um, in 1997, he was imprisoned for four years after he and his wife and their 20-year-old son, Aaron, were charged with conspiring to supply heroin. And oh, boy. That is all I know of where Michael Fagan is. So, um, but yeah, I mean, fortunately, he didn't do anything to our beloved Lilibet when he was uh, in there or anyone else or himself, you know, but... I just think of this, yeah, one of the most secure places in the world, and this man broken not once but twice, and, like, literally made it all the way to the queen's yeah. bed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he could have killed her easily, I think. Yeah. Yeah, she's so, lucky. She's lucky, and I think she probably handled it in the exact way it needed to be handled. Like, <laughs> this woman. Um, yeah, again, lover, hater. Yeah. She is Queen Elizabeth the second and such a whirlwind. I'm like exhausted now. Her life I is know. A whirlwind. <laughs> Long live the queen. Yeah. Um, wow. Excellent. Excellent. Um, <clears throat> little bio on the QE, QE2, QE2. Yeah. yeah hopefully you guys and, maybe you have to listen in sections cause I know it's a long one, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, that's, you know, we deserve to give Queen Elizabeth all the time for yeah everything she's I, done. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Couldn't agree more. Um, and we will be back with more famous females for Women's uh, History Month. Yeah. Um, thanks for listening. And we'll catch you on the flippity flop. Bye. Bye.